Father God, we, we want to be filled with your glory. We want to give you the honor, the praise that is due your name. Father God, I just pray that you will just continue to move in each and every person in this room. Lord, I pray that you will continue to move in those of us who are not here today that are part of the body of Christ here at uh, St. David's Church, the Diocese of Western Anglicans, the Anglican Church of North America, the worldwide church, God, that we would better reflect the kingdom of God and that our life, our lives, our witnesses, our very beings, the words that we speak, the actions that we take would show forth your glory and represent the kingdom of God here on this earth. And Lord, I just pray that you will work in this sermon through me and in me and in spite of me, God, to speak to your people. And Father God, I thank you for this time that I have with my brothers and sisters to look at your word and just to, just to explore further what the kingdom of God looks like and how precious it is. Precious it is. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Please be seated. It is nice to be back with you. I think most of you know, but just in case you don't, uh, I, over the last several months, have spent a couple of Sundays a month down at Torrance at Christ Our Savior Churches. They do not have a priest. And uh, if you are for about praying for other churches, I would just ask that you would pray for them. They would really like to get a full-time priest, and actually they have somebody coming next week who might be interested in that. I will be here next week, so that's not me. Um, hold your... Wait, no. I was going to say hold your applause like if that was going to be me, but uh, I'm just joking. You know I like to joke. <laughs> well, we have five parables. So I don't know, by my count, what should we spend? Is it, you got to spend at least 10 minutes a parable? Is that, uh, what do you all think? Amen. That's, they spend what, 30 minutes in Nigeria, Dory? No, two hours. Two hours, okay. Well, 30 times, 30 times five and all of that. Well, you know what? If, if I'm going to go two hours, I'm going to have to tag team to the, <laughs> I'll have to, I'll definitely have to tap out at least once. Well, actually, if I tap out, I won't be coming back in because he can definitely uh, take us home. Whatever distance I don't go, he can certainly go. Well, to get a little more serious, actually, to get a lot more serious, your life, my life, how's it going? Is your life all that you would like it to be? Have you achieved all that you would like to achieve? For some of you, things are going pretty well. For others, probably not, maybe not so well. Um, and actually in all of us, you know, we've got ups and downs depending on which year, which day, maybe even which hour of the day, or uh, however many times your boss uh, happens to walk in the room, or the days that your boss are there are going to be one of those, those down days. That's what life is here. On this side of eternity, I can speak for myself, my life. Uh, I've been very blessed. 
But I will have to say this year is one of my more challenging years in a, in a couple ways. Definitely work. I, I enjoy my work at Los Angeles Mission and, and I'm very blessed and, and feel called and that place has really helped me to grow immeasurably. But this uh, last year has been, uh, you know, very challenging. Um, I've had to spend more time with security and I guess I have to say it was my idea to help out, to outsource security and now I'm involved in it when before I wasn't. And what do I know? I don't know anything about security. And, you know, it's uh, down in Skid Row. It's not the, uh, say, the nicest place, you know, as you walk, uh, walk the streets all the time. And it's gotten a little tougher. I mean, we, uh, mental health issues are, you know, becoming a problem and are, are increasing problem down there. And, and, and we've had some, a couple of our employees have actually been uh, assaulted by by some guests in our building, and and some have been injured and not and uh, and out of work for a long time, and this really weighs heavily on me. And also, I think probably just a little bit overloaded with uh, the responsibilities that I have. My certain aspects of my body, I'm getting uh, not getting any younger, and uh, that's for sure. Um, and uh, you, Palmer, yes, you. Well, actually, it hides maybe now. I am limping still. Uh, I've had problems with my hip and uh, didn't exactly get the best doctor's report. I have uh, some moderate arthritis in my hip and I have loved to run um, and had run three marathons in the 1990s in New York City and uh, don't know that I'm going to be able to do that again. And one of the, one of the negatives of that is that make, means that there's a little more Father Steve than there used to be. Because... Uh, that's always been one I like to eat, and, but uh, I also, you know, like to exercise, but I have not been able to do that. So we're going to have to work on that. And then let's look at our world. And uh, this has not exactly been, I'd say, the best month for our world, the best, the best year even. We've got problems everywhere, it seems, uh, Israel and Hamas. Uh, fighting each other, people being killed, innocent civilians. We've got passenger planes being shot down uh, in the Ukraine. And let's just move a little closer. We've got Syria. We've got people being, innocent people being killed. We've got uh, the Islamic State of Iran and Syria just terrorizing the place. Actually, uh, I guess it's Iraq and Syria. It's been killing in Syria as well. Let me not forget, it's been over 100 days since about 200 children were uh, abducted in Nigeria by the Boko Haram. And then close to home on our Mexican border, we've seen 57,000 children transported from Central America over the border for money. Three to twelve thousand dollars a head, and I say head because that's really all these are, you know, the people that are profiting over children. Human smuggling net, uh, networks treating little kids like pawns. And I have to be careful here. We have a president during very challenging times who does not seem to have enough answers for many people. And there's Congress. They're probably even worse. 
And we have a government that seems more interested in their political agendas and their political advancements oftentimes than they do in solving the problems of the people and of our world and, and of our nation. Now, I'm not disparaging. I mean, there are very good people that are in Congress, but it just just seems like it's working less, and some of it's the nature of the beast. And then, of course, you know, we've seen and we've experienced it. National churches repossessing buildings that the individual local churches bought and paid for and were in for years and decades in their old building. And I could go on, you could go on and on. But there is one answer, and there's only one answer, and there's only always been one answer, and it's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God reigns supreme. And it was, it's been like this for centuries. And we see that in the New Testament. And we go back 20 centuries ago and even beyond the Jewish people. They had a kingdom of God mentality in mind. But their kingdom of God mentality didn't, really, didn't include Jesus Christ, the one who came to bring in the kingdom of God. Of God, Their idea of God's kingdom, because at the time that Jesus lived and when he was born, they were ruled by the Roman Empire. So they thought the kingdom of God was going to be a time when God would come mightily to, to defeat the enemies of Israel. That God's Messiah would defeat the Roman Empire, gather up all the people of Israel who had been spread through the centuries in different nations around the Mediterranean Sea and then bring them all back together in the Promised Land and they would be ruled by the one and only God. And they also thought because they were born Jewish, they were born God's chosen people of the Old Testament, that they would be part of the kingdom of God. They had it all made. There was nothing else they had to do, believe, or to be. The kingdom of God, in their minds, was too much about Israel. But their idea of the kingdom was not what God had in mind. And I've said it before from here, the kingdom of God. What is it? look like? What is it about? Well, in its simple definition, it's the sovereign rule of God. It's the way God wants things to be. God reigns. God is in charge. The world and life is as God intends it. And the kingdom of God that Jesus brings in Everything's okay. Uh, Sargus, everything's okay? Thumbs up? Okay. The king, uh, let's see, where are we? Um, <laughs> the kingdom of God came in and is, first and foremost, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the kingdom of God continues to advance against the forces of evil in our world. The kingdom overcomes sorrow, pain, sickness, hardship, killing, hardness of heart in this life. But as we know, 
it's nowhere near fully come into reign. The kingdom will advance, but it is not going to come in full force and power and reign fully until Jesus comes again at the end of this age. And this kingdom of God doesn't work like the kingdoms that man sets up in the kingdoms of this world because man's kingdoms are built on power, wealth, human achievement, success, star power, personality. Man's kingdoms are constructed the way man thinks they should be. But the kingdom of God that Jesus brought in and was teaching about and was showing in his person and in his miraculous acts was not what the Jewish religious leaders thought it should be and what most people, most Jewish people thought that the kingdom should be because Jesus wasn't the political and military king that would liberate Israel from the Romans. That's what they expected. He was a humble preacher. He was a son, he was a carpenter, and he was a son of a carpenter. And I like the way the dictionary of Jesus and the Gospels, and I couldn't recite the man's name who wrote this little article, sums it up this way in, in his article about the kingdom of God. Jesus took the Jewish concept of the kingdom of God and transformed it from a narrow-minded, nationalistic hope to a universal spiritual order in which humankind could find the fulfillment of its ultimate desires for righteousness, justice, peace, happiness, freedom from sin and guilt, and a restored relationship to God, an order in which God was king. Doesn't that sound great? And we, we see it, but we don't see it anywhere near and full in this world because the kingdom of God is amongst us. It arrived in Jesus, but it's not fully what it's going to be at the end of the age. But the religious leaders of Israel and most of the people could not or would not see that Jesus was God's Messiah, even though he went many places teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. People heard about this all over the place. I mean, You'd have to have been dead not to know in that land that Jesus and what he was doing because his fame spread throughout the land and people would bring the sick and those afflicted with various diseases, pains, demon-possessed people, epileptics, paralytics, and Jesus would cure them. Jesus did things that no other man read. I, I don't know, I, I don't read in history books. I don't read in, in other parts of the Bible people doing these type of things in the quantity of things that Jesus did. There were instances of it, but not like Jesus. And furthermore, in Matthew's Gospel, as we come to chapter 12, we see that the Jewish leaders are fiercely opposing Jesus, and they're increasingly opposes, opposed Jesus. That's one of the reasons that Matthew then comes in chapter 13 and puts together the seven or more par seven parables about the kingdom of God, partly in response to 
this opposition. You've seen me. He had told them they wanted more signs. And he said, you've seen all the, you've heard and seen about all the things that I have done. But they would not believe. So Jesus starts off in chapter 13 with his parable of the sower. And he communicates that people enter the kingdom of God by hearing. And that hearing, that word for hearing, both in the Hebrew and in the Greek, mean more than just the simple, you hear something. You hear it, and you obey it. You listen attentively to it, and you, you, take, it, you take it in. And we enter, Jesus tells us in this parable, the kingdom of God, when we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, we believe the message of Jesus and the kingdom of God, we accept it in our hearts, and it stays there. That is the good soil that Jesus talks about in the parable, and it's the only good soil. The others, either right away, shortly thereafter, or a little while later, that, that message of the kingdom that Jesus has preached goes away or is not, not visible, not truly visible and believed by this person for various reasons. The kingdom of God came into our world through the person of Jesus Christ. He entered in a lowly manger. That's below whatever, the Motel 6 or, or whatever, way below that. Don't want to slam. I've stayed in the Motel 6 as many times. But I, I just, that isn't in the notes, so I couldn't. Uh, but he was in a manger. It wasn't even a room. It was in a stable. So he didn't come in earthly power, and he didn't come with military might. Instead, he sowed the word of the kingdom into people. Because when you get right down to it, Jesus hung out with people. He hung out. He spent three years taking people with him. Twelve disciples. He, he, he intentionally chose twelve disciples. These are people just like you and me, and now I'll just speak of me so I don't insult anybody else. You know, these were not people who get an A-plus from Professor Ken Simmons in uh, his accounting class. Ken, if you don't know Ken, Ken is a... Uh, you need to work hard in Ken's class. No A's, okay. So what, what type of curve do you have? It's a Simmons curve, it's very low. So he doesn't have the standard Bell class. So if you have anybody going to USC studying accounting, actually they should take Professor Simmons. He's an excellent professor, but... Um, but, uh, yeah. I went uh, quite far afield there. <laughs> now I've got to figure out where I am. Oh, yes, the 12 disciples. I was going to get to me. But these were not... Hey, Peter, your number one man? Seriously? Would you pick Peter? Before the cross? Oh my gosh. And actually, I mean, Peter was the, he was the, he was the top of the class in there. So these were just ordinary people, nothing. And that's also, that's how God, that's, that's how God did it. That's how Jesus did it. 
but it speaks of how the kingdom didn't come in and Jesus didn't come in with great, with great fanfare. And of course, the ultimate was the ultimate victory of Jesus wasn't winning a military war. It was on that cross. The most humiliating death imaginable. And that, that death on the cross for our sins to help us overcome sin and the grave and Jesus rising again so that we could have restored relationship with God our Father and Creator is the essence of the gospel message of the kingdom of God. And Jesus brought that in, in his life, death, and resurrection. And as our parable of the mustard seed says, it started small, like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the field. And Jesus, once again, he spread his message in to human hearts, who in turn continued to spread the message of the kingdom to other people. May not have been noticeable to many, but it has continued to grow then and now. It will continue to grow until Jesus comes again. And in his parable, he says it starts small, but it becomes the greatest of shrubs, and it actually experiences some tremendous growth and becomes a tree. Now, I, this mustard seed in this tree is really speaking of the corporate body. The parable of the sower was about individuals. But I think one way we could also look at it, a tree has many branches, many leaves. And when we think about, I think of each one of us here, think about the presence of Jesus in your lives, now and back, whether that be six months ago, whether that be six years ago, however far back. Has the kingdom and has Jesus grown inside of you? That's what it's intended to do. Because we're like those branches on that tree, reflecting Jesus Christ. Or we're like that dough. There's a whole mass of, of dough. Because, because the kingdom of God, when we believe in Jesus Christ, is in us. And he tells this parable about the kingdom of God growing and permeating this world like yeast leavens bread and causes this mass of dough to rise and expand. And eventually, the kingdom of God will reign supreme and forever, just as the yeast will permeate the entire loaf and all the loaves that this woman was kneading together and was baking. And... There's a Scottish Baptist preacher from the 19th century named Alexander McLaren. And he says, The effect of the gospel in the society of mankind, in whom the will of God is supreme, is to change a heavy lump of dough into, light, into a light, nutritious bread by the power of its fermentation. Likewise, Jesus transforms humanity from a dead mass into one filled with the Spirit of God. The kingdom of God is the greatest, most important, and valuable thing in the world. Nothing can compare. That was Jesus' message in the parables of the, uh, the treasure hidden in the field and the pearl of great value. So whether you're wealthy, like the pearl merchant, 
or the per, a person of limited means, like the farmhand of the land or anywhere in between, the kingdom is by far the most valuable possession you could ever have. Today we keep our money in the bank, or maybe we invest in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds through E-Trade. Maybe you call up that little baby broker that's in the crib during sports, uh, sports events and uh, giving you that stock advice. They didn't have that, as you know, in, in Jesus' day. No banks. So that's what people did. They buried valuable possessions, money in fields, in places that nobody else you know, could, could find them. So that's what's going on in this story. And there's this farmhand who just happens to come, you know, to come upon this treasure. And so he finds it, but he doesn't own the field, so this treasure doesn't belong to him. So he buries it again, and then he takes everything that he has because he, he senses this thing is so valuable, it's much more valuable than anything I have. So he, he takes everything that he has and uses it to buy this field. So that once he owns the field, then the treasure in the field belongs to him. And he goes back and then he takes that treasure for his own. And Jesus uses that to illustrate that anything and everything we have and that we are does not compare to the value of the kingdom of God. And we should be willing to do anything and to give up anything for the kingdom of God. Pearls, similar type message. Pearls were considered the most luxurious of jewels. They, they still are when they are the real thing. And the finest pearls back then could be worth millions in today's money. So the merchant finds this pearl of great value and he sells everything that he has so that he can get this pearl of great value. And Jesus is saying in this parable that the message of the kingdom of God is priceless and that there's no sacrifice too great to attain it. It's another way of saying, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 14, verse 33. So I ask, what are we willing to do for the kingdom of God? What are we willing to be for the kingdom of God? What are we willing to give up for the kingdom of God? A disciple of Jesus, or in other words, a citizen of the kingdom of God, puts Jesus first over everything else. To him or to her, to her Jesus is more important than anything, anyone imaginable. Jesus and the kingdom of God mean more than earthly possessions and people who are kingdom people that put the kingdom of God first bear fruit for the kingdom of God. As Jesus said in the parable of the sower, they, they produce fruit 10, 20, and more times. And these are people, kingdom people, who spread God's divine life that he desires for all of his created beings. And kingdom people use their time, talents, and treasures for God's kingdom purposes. 
and kingdom people sow God's word through their deeds and character that spreads the gospel to the world. Father Jose, I think last week, talked some about what kingdom people look like and as followers of Jesus. And of course, it's a pretty big book, depending on the size of your print. I've got almost 2,000 pages here. There's a lot of words here. So, of course, one of the things we do as kingdom people is we speak the word. We speak the truths of God. We speak the message that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. And true life is only found in him. And we speak that in, in many ways. We have some people speak it in public gatherings, but we all speak that by our lives and by what God, how God has worked in us when we believe in Jesus. And I'm sure, I mean, I could call people up right now and then we could do the two hours worth. And people could testify about what God has done when you have put him in charge in your life. That's the most powerful proclamation that you can make because that's your proclamation. That's your testimony. I just, uh, I look back and I guess, you know, Father Jose reminded me, I thought about it earlier this month, that uh, at, uh, at the end of this month, it will have been five years since I was ordained a priest. And then I'll go back even maybe eight or nine, no, actually probably be about almost ten years from the time I preached my first sermon. Oh, I'm glad they didn't tape that one so that we could, ooh, that we could look at that. Actually, the first one might have been all right, but there was, uh, there's been a lot of growth there. And, and sometimes I'm just, I'm just amazed. And there's still, don't worry, there's a lot of growth that's still needed. But, so I re recognize that. But I can go back even further, and as I've said to some before, I won't say how many years ago, but it was a long, long time ago when I was in uh, freshman or sophomore of college speech class, and the first speech I gave in front of the class. Oh, I was so nervous, my legs wouldn't stop shaking. And then I made the mistake of stomping my feet, and they just kept going, and then I started laughing, and everybody started laughing. And then uh, I got an F on that speech, and uh, I couldn't finish it. So when you don't finish it, and I wish I could remember what that speech was about, because then I could really, uh, really do that. But and and just then to you know now be comfortable, you know, speaking before people, just the the growth. But really, the growth has happened because there's things that you do humanly. You study academically, but it's really been since Jesus Christ came into my life. And Jesus Christ coming into my life was nothing, you know, that, that I did on my own. I found him in, uh, or he found me in New York City, the, the city in 1988 that I told my sister after we had spent three days. And I said, let's get out of here. Buy your hot dog from the, uh, I'm not spending any more money in these expensive restaurants. Let's get out of here. Let's go visit our relatives uh, outside, up in upstate New York. Said I would never live in that place. And two years later, boom, that's where I live. I said the same thing about Los Angeles. Boom, I live here now. I don't say those things anymore. Well, other than maybe 
I'll never live in Honolulu full time. <laughs> that one maybe I'll start saying, but, uh, but, but that's, as I say, I, I only say that because I had nothing to do with my getting there. And I also had nothing to do with my being sent to an Episcopal church because if I would have picked it, I never would have went to this church. They met in the second floor of a brownstone that used to be the rectory. New York has beautiful churches. They used to have a beautiful church. But somebody at business school, and I was, only thing I did was saying, I want to join the Christian Business Fellowship so I could read this thing a little bit. I never read it other than in church. And uh, some guy, there were no Anglicans there. They weren't even close, you know. I, I don't know if there were any Roman Catholics. They just said, you know, you should go to this particular church. I've been going there. They have a guy by the name of Martin Minns who happened to be the uh, director then. But then the second time I came right the next week, he announced he was leaving. But I got there, and then he actually told, I asked him, what Bible should I buy? So that, that's how it began. It begins small. And, and you all have your, your stories, too. And, and I could go on, but I won't, because I'm not going to preach for two hours, and I'm not going to hand off to Father Jose, because he probably wouldn't like that. So I want to preach again, so I'm not going to do that. I may read something, but uh, I'm going a little long. I think as we think about, you know, there's all kinds of things, you know, there's, there's I, I guess I just got to what we speak and what God does in us, but there are deeds that we do. There's acts, you know, the kingdom and, as Jesus. You know, he, spe- he preached, but then he healed, and he did many acts of healing and kindness and mercy. And I like how Alexander White, he's a Scottish uh, preacher back in the 19th and 20th century, he writes a little bit about the, it says that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Jesus surely saw countless Old Testament images in his mind. What could be smaller seed than the lonely call of Abraham into the land of the Canaanites or the ark of bulrushes that hid away Moses, the little baby Moses, by the river's bank? That doesn't happen. Moses doesn't go before Pharaoh and doesn't, doesn't uh, be God's instrument to, help to, to be the leader of the people as God leads his people out of Egypt and across the Red Sea. Or let's not forget the shepherd boy, David, who sang to his few sheep on the plains of Bethlehem. Or think of Jesus' own life. Would you see the most wonderful mustard seed that was ever sown? Come and behold the holy thing that lies in the manger of Bethlehem. On and on go the examples. But it is time to come to ourselves. Every little word that a parent speaks to his child, every action we take toward another person, every glance of our eye and accent of our voice, all are so many mustard seeds down in the garden of someone else's mind and heart. Every little scripture, every little prayer, every little encouragement, every moment spent in sympathy, Small seeds drop that will yet spring up to our everlasting surprise as an everlasting harvest enriched by the Spirit of God and spreading out into visions of beauty that will sanctify and fortify the soul. Let us not despise the day of small things. Let us have a great faith in in such small things as these. That's a part of what the kingdom of God is all about and how... We share the kingdom of God to all those whom we come into contact with. 
Do you believe that the kingdom of God is the most important thing in the world, that it's the greatest prize that the world will ever see? Does your life reflect that Jesus and the kingdom of God are more important than anything? Have you fully surrendered? Have we fully surrendered our lives to Jesus? And are we living radically for God's kingdom? If not, what is keeping us from doing so? May God help us to live more fully for his kingdom today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen. Amen.